0: Well, that was the question we led off with last week at the beginning of this new message series called Listening to God. And what we're doing for the next few weeks is just exploring how can we hear from God because we believe that if you'll follow God as he leads your life, it'll make a dramatic difference for you. You'll enjoy it better. You'll step into the purpose he has for you. You'll avoid some of the pitfalls that often can trap us up. And you'll hear one day as you stand before your creator, well done, good and faithful servant. Today, I want to talk with you about listening to impressions from God. We believe that from time to time people get impressions and God directs their steps through impressions. And I want to help you vet those so that you don't get weird or get silly or perhaps miss God talking to you. And we're going to jump into that in just a second. But as Matt said, uh, welcome to Four Corners and on your seats you found a lot of stuff. One of the things I want to direct your attention to is that catalog for summer small groups. This is the last Sunday where we'll be taking time on a Sunday morning to sign up for those. It's very simple how you do it. You simply transfer the number of the small group or the experience you want to be a part of onto your connect card right at next step C. You simply put the hashtag sign or the number sign and write that number down right there. So if I wanted to sign up for a group today and I was maybe a single man, I would sign up for E03, the ladies brunch perhaps um, is where I would sign up. And uh, you would just simply write E 3 right there at next step C, all right? And so there's some events, and events are important because they're fellowship uh, engagements, a chance for you to build relationships. But for us, a small group is when people get together in a smaller group of people, right? They talk about truth from God's Word, either through a book or directly from the Bible. They pray about what's going on in their life, and they meet frequently enough to get past not knowing one another. So you can begin to build a relationship. So we have small groups and events, both on that catalog for you. The other thing that we're going to talk about today is a a brand new initiative happening in our church where for the first time in a a direct way, we're doing formal membership. And on June 25th, on Sunday night, right here in this space, in this building at 4 uh, p.m., we're going to give folks who call this church home an opportunity to learn about what does it mean to be a formal member here. And here's why we're doing this. We think that our culture is teaching people that Church is the thing you go to to get your needs met. Church is the thing you go to to get your needs met. And that's not a wrong message, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. I hope that you get your needs met here. I hope that today you meet with God and you learn some stuff from the scripture. Prayer uh, nourishes your soul. When you take communion, you're reminded of the great sacrifice that our Savior Jesus made for us, and it reminds you of his grace, active in your life. I hope you get your needs met. But church is so much more than that. It's a spiritual family. It's a family gathering together. And so what we're doing around here is we're exploring that, kind of an opposition to the culture. Because if you're not careful, you'll go through life. We will, I will, you will. We'll go through life just getting our needs met. And God's called us to so much more than just getting our needs and our wants met. And we think through exploring what it means to be a spiritual family, we can step into that more directly. But if you want to get your needs met, that's fine. In fact, there's a business that will help you do that. They're called Church Hunters. And last week, we watched them help a couple look at one church and vet it. And this week, I want to show you another video of them vetting another church. Go ahead and take a look at this. Previously on Church
1: Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. Honestly, right
2: up front, uh, didn't love the name.
3: The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional.
2: Hey, guys, how we
1: doing? Hey,
3: good, how are you? Doing
1: good, doing good. So I know you didn't love the traditional vibe of the last place, okay? Okay. but I think this church is really going to do it for you. Yeah. It takes relevance to a whole new level. Behind me you will see molded clay, jar art, tapestry, canvas, mosaic wow. church. Mm, I love it. Right? But so we, you've heard of interdenominational, mm-hmm. right. and you've heard of non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Well, this church identifies as inter denominational
3: wow. wow. That's, that's perfect for it. us. It really
1: is. But here's the kicker. A lot of celebrities go here. Yeah. What? Jeff Foxworthy.
3: Oh, we love him. Yep. We really do.
1: Ben Higgins from ABC's The Bachelor. Wow. Perfect. Several Real Housewives. Ooh. And. Usher even came here one time. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, wow. well, follow me. Come on. Let's do it.
3: <laughs> so refreshing. Honestly, that last church was just way too traditional. It was yeah. too much. It was like
2: we left there feeling convicted, like, uh, ugh, right?
3: Right. We're just, we're looking for more of a Tony Robbins type stuff. Like inspiration,
2: like a TED Talk with a Bible verse.
3: Yes. Oh, yes. Right. It's perfect here. We love it. It really is. We
1: love it. Awesome. Cool. Well you guys know a lot of contemporary pastors speak out of the message translation Bible. Or mm-hmm. right? this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. Oh. Shut up. We love Tumblr though. This is great. Wow. A lot of emojis, a lot of abbreviations.
2: Oh, I couldn't ask for and how many seats in here? Oh, it is six thousand altogether. Babe, wow. six thousand. Mm-hmm. I gotta be in this worship band. That's Imagine true. me up on that jumbotron mid guitar solo. <laughs> Do you know
3: how many Instagram likes you get? Oh, oh my gosh. We find it hard to find a church right now because I grew up Catholic. I grew up and
2: Baptist. So, So
3: like, we, we drink. Yeah, but in
2: private. I mean, obviously, you get it. Basically, in terms of, like, worship, I think we're looking for, like, a Jesus culture type feel. Oh, right? I
3: love them. Hillsong, obviously. Oh, do Me to
2: the Cross? Hillsong is great. Like, a Bethel minus the spontaneous yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just for me, I connect in worship more when the leader is attractive. Personally, I'm a Carrie Job guy.
3: Well she's married.
2: So. Um, so is Christian Stanfield. Wow. So
1: one of my personal favorite things about this church is the service times. Okay. There's an eight thirty, a ten, a one o'clock, a five thirty, and even a seven o'clock service.
3: Oh, there's something around like two ish?
2: Yeah, for us, for what we need, two, two fifteen is best. Yeah. Uh, How many songs do they do during worship? Usually five, five
1: and a half, depending on where the spirit leads.
0: Wow, babe, is that that a a lot? lot? If that's too much for
1: you, they have a program here called the Worship Assist Program. Okay. So if you ever get tired during worship, an intern will come out and just hold your arms up. You just keep worshiping the King of Glory. Just like that, I love it. You
2: can still look super spiritual.
3: And my arms get so tired from yoga. Same. I actually like this church I think we can make it work.
2: It was all right I mean it was it was good but pers- like I emailed the pastor and he didn't immediately respond so uh, we're taking these vessels elsewhere.
0: yeah obviously that's parody but it does mimic real life and if you're not careful it'll be just the place church will just be the place where you get your, your needs met but there's so much more and so on June 25th, uh, on that Sunday night, we're gonna be talking about it. And at the end of that, you'll have a chance to decide whether or not you wanna be a formal member of this church. Let's turn to our message notes. Those are found inside the program that looks like this. On the front is the uh, benediction we pray every week, and on the back is your saved to dates. But in the middle, there's our message notes. And I wanna to talk to you about seven ways to test an impression. How do you know if God is talking to you? How do you know if it's God talking to you or you're just talking to yourself? I like to talk to myself because I like to have an conversation with somebody that's intelligent and so I enjoy talking to myself from time to time but I want to hear from the Lord too I want to make sure that if I get an impression I know how to vet out is this God talking is this me talking is this the lunch I had still talking to me how do you know if God's talking to you and the idea of vetting out God's voice and deciding if it's God or something else is a very biblical concept in fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, not in your message notes, but up here on the screen or on your phone or in your Bible, here's what the Bible says. Dear friends, John talking to the people he cared for. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In this passage, John is saying to the people he cared about, there are a lot of voices. And you have to be careful which ones you're listening to and to test them to test them, to make sure that God is talking to you when you think God is talking to you, as opposed to your best friend or the culture or yourself or perhaps even the enemy of your soul. These impressions that we get sometimes can originate from a variety of different sources. The first source is you can get impressions from your very own head. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14 kind of hints at this. It says that there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Without raising your hands, just by a little Presbyterian amen, which is a nod like this. How many of you have ever thought something was going to be good? Maybe you even thought it was from God and you stepped into it and it didn't go great. Yeah, that's true for a lot of us. And for those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a while, it's likely that from time to time you kind of thought God was involved in something, and it turns out he wasn't, and you were the source of that great big idea. That spiritual insight you had came directly from inside your frontal lobe. It happens. In fact, the propensity for self-deception is very high, very high. That's what the Bible cautions us over and over and over again to make sure that we know the source of the voices that we hear. And again, I'm not talking about the voices in your head on a psychological scale. I'm talking about whether or not that thing you're hearing, that impression you have as you face that decision, as you're looking to make a change, is it from God or not? Is that the whisper of the Spirit? Is that a nudging from God? Is that a leading? Or is it you? You? Because sometimes things can come from yourself. Sometimes things can come from God. In fact, we looked at this passage a lot last week, Job chapter 33. For God does speak, Job's friends said to him as they were trying to make sense of what was going on in his life. For God does speak, not one way, not another, though no one perceives it. Indicating sometimes just how hard it is to figure out exactly what God's saying. So sometimes they come from us, sometimes they come from God, and sometimes they come from the enemy of your soul. The Bible calls that person Satan. It means the accuser in Hebrew. Satan can speak to you. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Corinthians in his second letter that we have in our Bible, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. There are people in this world who are sometimes knowingly, sometimes most often unknowingly agents of the work of darkness that is meant to kill steal and destroy and if you're not careful if you don't have a filter by which you evaluate these impressions sometimes you won't be able to discern is that God or not and you'll miss something or you'll go down a wrong road and I think impressions are very important and by the time we get done you're going to have a filter of seven steps or seven processes seven things to think about that you can work through So that if you get an impression and you work through these seven things and things check out okay, you can be reasonably certain that God's probably in that impression that you're having. And if it doesn't work out, you might want to just slow down a bit and give it some time so that the truth of the source of that impression you have would surface. Yeah, impressions are a big deal. And there's two extremes to avoid. One extreme is to never, ever think that impressions happen, that God doesn't still speak in the small whisper, in the circumstance, in the nudging of your hearts, in your desire. That's one extreme to avoid. And the other extreme to avoid is to think that he's speaking about anything and everything, as if when you got up this morning, you laid out all of your socks on the bed, you closed your eyes, and you said, Now, God, direct me, which pair of socks should I wear today? Which would be kind of foolish. But believe it or not, that kind of foolishness happens in the life of churches and Christians around the globe. Yeah, I think impressions are very, very important. My wife had an impression once. It's not a joke. It's real, although it kind of sounded like I was setting up for a joke. My wife had an impression the first time we met each other. That weekend, she called her mom and she said, I met the guy I'm going to marry. Now, I like to think it was because of my overwhelming charm and intelligence and ability to you know, communicate with uh, just flair. When in fact it was an outpouring of compassion and grace, God knew I'd need somebody like her uh, in my life. But she knew. But she tested the impression. She didn't tell everybody. She told her mom that was a safe place. It became a matter of prayer over time. It wasn't for about six to eight months before I even caught up to the idea, and it wasn't until much later Obviously that she told me, because had she told me that on the first date, that would have also been our last date. (laughs) So, uh, there's a season, sometimes even if you get it, to wait. One time God spoke into my heart. I told you last week I'd share with you this story. And and he spoke to my heart in a way that I think confirmed something I already knew to be true, but made it so real to me. But I think it's prevented a lot of pain and chaos in my life. In the life of a church I was serving at in my early 20s, which means it wasn't here and none of you, um, I, just in the daily engagement of that church, I happened one day to be at church on a Sunday morning, and I was looking across the auditorium, and there was a strikingly beautiful woman sitting across the auditorium. Objectively, she was very pretty. And I just noticed it, went about my thing, continued to do my thing. I didn't harbor, you know inappropriate thoughts, I didn't play out scenarios in my head, I just acknowledged she was very pretty and went about my time. And that night when I was laying in bed, I had a dream, an incredibly vivid dream that in my dream, this look turned into a relationship, which turned into something incredibly ungodly, although very physically satisfying. And in my dream, God sped up time. And I watched my life play out from those inappropriate, poor behaviors, bad Christian behaviors, ungodly things. And in my dream, I lost my wife, my, at that time my daughter, my ministry, embarrassed myself and everybody I cared about. And at the end of it, I was alone. Without the presence of God, without the purpose of God, without the people of God in my life. And I was sobbing in the corner in my dream. And my wife shook me laying in bed, woke me up from, a, from, from that deep, deep, I think God-inspired dream and asked me why I was crying. And I got to experience in a dream, an impression from God, what the scripture already taught me. Be careful where you look. Be careful where it takes you. That lust begins in your own heart. And even though I didn't do anything wrong, God gave me a gift of showing me just how bad things can get when you're careless and fancy-free with his teachings about sexual intimacy being reserved only for marriage. Now, it just confirmed a word I already knew, but it made that word so real to me that for the rest of my ministry, including up to this day, I've been incredibly, incredibly cautious about engaging people of the opposite sex. And uh, me and a few buddies instituted what we call the Billy Graham rules. And so I'm never alone with a woman. I don't, you know, ride in a car with just me and another, another female and a handful of other things to put in place because I never want to, in, on purpose or accidentally, find myself into that kind of pressure cooker. And while the Scripture already told me enough to know that, it was that impression from God that made it feel so real and alive to me. Impressions. Impressions from God are a big deal. I hope that you're getting them, but more importantly, I hope that when you get them, you vet them. So let me give you those seven things, and you can follow along in your notes. And by the way, if me confessing those kinds of thoughts and feelings to you convince you that I'm not a godly enough pastor, there are all kinds of great churches in Cincinnati where pastors don't have those thoughts. (laughs) All right. Number one. Number one, here it is, the most important. Does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? God is never going to give you an impression that is out of step with his word. It's never going to happen. God's never going to speak to you and say something like this. Hey, because the government wastes your taxes, don't pay them. That's never going to happen. God's never going to say, because your wife is unkind, go ahead and flirt with that person at the office. That's never going to happen. God doesn't give you impressions outside of his explicit teachings for his people in the pages of the Bible. God's will will never lead you outside of his word. That's why in Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The words of life found in the pages of the Bible. We talked about this at length last week. Those words are meant to bring life to you. They're eternal. And the principles contained in them for men and women who belong to Jesus because of his grace and not our works. And yet when he saves us by grace, he loves us too much to leave us there. He calls us to a better way of living, to a godlier way of living. Those words are for us. God's never ...called anyone to leave a marriage... ...so that they could find sexual fulfillment somewhere else. He's never done it. It's never happened. I've had people tell me things like... ...God just wants me to be happy. God's never encouraged you to harbor bitterness in your heart... ...because you're justified. It's never occurred. These kinds of things are in direct opposition... ...to the clear teaching of Scripture. In fact... In Paul's day, there were people who were claiming to have messages from God, claiming to have impressions from God, and was sharing them around. And Paul wanted to make sure that at the church at Galatia, they had crystal clarity about the core of the message of Jesus. So in Galatians chapter 1, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under uh, under God's curse. Yeah, it has to agree with the clear teaching of Scripture. So on a big level, if somebody comes and says, Jesus was just a good example, he wasn't in fact God in the flesh, that's contrary to the pages of Scripture, it's simply not true. And on a micro level, if God comes, or you believe God comes, or somebody comes and the voice of God and shares something with you that goes against the clear moral teaching of Scripture for followers of Jesus... It's simply not true. So, the clearest way for you to test impressions is to be actively engaged in the Bible. Again, one of the reasons pastors are so frequently encouraging their congregations to stay in the Word of God is not so much that we want you to have all the knowledge that comes from knowing who begat whom and when this occurred in the pages of Scripture and how many sons Noah had. That's not the point. The point is, is the wisdom of God is contained there. And as you go through life and you get all kinds of impressions, you'll have a quick and ready access filter by which to process those impressions. And make important decisions in your life. Does it make all of the tension go away at decision moments? But it does help quite a bit. Number two, does it make me more like Christ? So the first one, the clear implication, does it agree with the Bible? But number two, does it make me more like Christ? This is God's will for every follower of Jesus, that over time we'd be, we would be shaped, we would be molded, we would be sculpted, we would be shaped into more into the image of Christ, that we would look more like our big brother, Jesus. And so in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes it this way. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So even in your relationships, and the reason I pointed out that verse is often when it comes to impressions, many times at least, it seems to me, in my pastoral work, it's about a relational dynamic, moving closer or further away, some problem, some challenge. Well, when it comes to relationships, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the words, when it comes to relationships, have the same heart, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And if you read the rest of this passage, this is that famous passage I often do for us at Christmas. Where it talks about Jesus did not think of himself so highly that he was unwilling to submit to the full will of God in his life. And that's God's will in our relationships. And I want to take you to a very practical passage about relationships in the book of James if you were with me last week when we talked about this, I said that if you're wondering where to begin engaging the Bible, pick up a good English translation, I suggested the New International Version or the English Standard Version. And then start with the book of James. So in James chapter 3, here's what James, who was the brother of Jesus, wrote to the churches over which he had leadership. Who is wise and understanding among you. By the way, the answer to that question is, is I don't really know. who's wise and understanding. But if you want to know who's wise and understanding, look at what it says about them. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So you got to do some heart work. You got to figure out what's going on in here. Is this coming from a good place or a bad place? Is it my selfish envy? Is that what this is? And then he says, Such wisdom, in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, here's how you understand if it's making you more like Christ, it's pure. And we could stop right there. Our culture is consumed with impure things. And our entertainment is captivated by impurity. And humor today is about shock value. And entertainment is all about pushing the envelope to get a little bit more ratings. A little bit more skin here. A little less clothing here. A little more activity here. And where that used to shock a generation ago, that's now passe. Let's kick it up over here but the wisdom that comes from God is pure. And then peace-loving, and then considerate. And here's a word we hate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So if you wanna know, is this impression from the Lord pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I'm reminded of the guy that goes to his wife and says, I have an incredible job opportunity. It's got good pay. The hours are good. It can be a little demanding from time to time. And the wife says, oh, that's great. Who are you going to go work for? And he says, the mafia. Now, yeah, this is not good, pure, considerate. The Lord's not in that. Even if they make an offer, you can't refuse, Right? The Lord's not in it. And when it comes to being more like Christ, it would be like a husband and a wife, perhaps, who visit Las Vegas, nothing wrong with that. But at the table, he gets an impression that he should bet the next month's wages, right? Go ahead and take a cash advance on the credit card and bet the next month's wages because he's got an impression that if he rolls these dice this time, with that bet, God's gonna show up. But that's not pure and righteous and wise. It comes from selfish ambition. That's not the Lord. You have to be careful with impressions. It's amazing what pressure will do to your impressions. How you'll find yourself justifying almost anything in the moment. I find sometimes that in my life it's at an incredible time of pressure that maybe my mouth will get the best of me. I don't think I'm the only person in the room, but let's just talk about the way my mouth sometimes gets the best of me for a second. And an incredible moment of pressure, and then I'm, uh, if I'm not careful, I'll stew. And when I'm really healthy and things are going well, and I hit a level two or three or maybe a four on the stress scale, that's when I have conversations. And everything stays nice and low. And but when I'm under pressure I tend to clam up a bit and now the pressure cooker rises and I have to get to about a 7 or 8 before I start talking about it. And of course when I start talking about it and I'm at about a 7 or 8 on the stress scale, guess how I talk about it. At at least a 7 or an 8, or maybe a 9 or 10 and on occasion, I've turned it all the way up to 11, which doesn't even exist on this imaginary scale, but I've been there. That's what happens. You'd be surprised what happens when you're incredibly wounded, hurt, desperate, angry, frustrated. And then God speaks. And in those moments, I can justify just about anything I've said. Often I'm actually right, but I am also so wrong. But if you pressure me in that moment, if you're not careful and I'm not sensitive, I'll actually convince myself, not even you, that somehow God was in the middle of all that. In what way does it show up for you? Where if you're not careful, your own desires will lead you to convince you that God is okay with what you're doing. So, does it agree with the Bible? Number two, does it make me more like Christ? Number three, this is one that goes against our culture. It's part of why we're doing membership here. But number three, does my church family confirm it? Does my church family confirm it? Now, Some of you, your physical family... And your church family overlap. That's awesome when in your biological family you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Now for some of you, your spiritual family is really the only source of godly engagement that you have. Because your earthly family is either disconnected, absent perhaps because of death or or distance. Or perhaps they don't share your values. But in your church family, do you find harmony in those things that you're considering from God? I remember one time sitting around a group of men in our church in the early days, and we were just having a conversation. And one man turned to the other man, and he said, Hey, if I ran for president, would you vote for me? And so I have no idea what's going on. I said, President of what? He said, President of the United States. And I thought, This is next level. This was not, you know, John Boehner who lives, you know, over there, because that would have been reasonable. This guy was very several clicks in the government system below John Boehner. In fact, the only thing he had ever been elected for was treasurer of his homeowners association. And I'm like, when you tell me more about this, is I'm thinking about running for president. Well, why are you thinking about this? Well, I was talking. Here's what he said, no lie. I was talking to my barber the other day, and we were talking politics. And I was complaining and complaining and complaining. And he said to me, well, like you could do any better than those people. And I thought maybe God was speaking to me in that. And I thought, what, what are we drinking? Because what, I, I have no idea where this is coming from. But he took a simple conversation and a hunch that he had, and he turned it into a... And that sounds silly, doesn't it? But you'd be surprised. So sitting there in a very loving way, I said, I think you might be getting ahead of yourself. Why why don't you think about getting involved in a social action group or serving even more at church and just helping where you can? Because it's a big, long jump from here to the presidency. Now, perhaps, I suppose, but... The nice thing was, is he was talking about it among his church family. And long before he launched out, spent a lot of money, we were able to talk him down off that ledge, right? This is what Paul was trying to get to in Ephesians chapter 3 when he said, his intent was that now through the church, God's intent was that in this time through the church, look at this, what's supposed to happen in the local church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And ultimately, he's talking about the authority that comes from God and the full work of the gospel. But in principle, he said, it's the church. In the life of the church, you get to talk about such lofty things. So I just want to ask you, do you have a group of followers of Jesus around you that will help you vet the impressions that you get? Because I want to remind you that most friends we have, they just will give us emotional support. If you want to do something, they'll encourage you. They'll often talk about how stupid it is behind your back. But in the moment, nobody will say, I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They'll say things like this. Well, if it makes you happy, well, you deserve to be happy. The followers of Jesus will rally around you from time to time. They'll have hard conversations if you need it. And you do need it, and I need it, and we all need it. And other times when you're hesitant and you need to step out in boldness and you're a little afraid and you make that case, some friends around you will say, you're right, that's too hard. You shouldn't do it. But there'll be a bold, God-inspired follower of Jesus in your close circle of friends who'll look at you and say, I just hear fear in this. You should go ahead and step out and do the thing that God's called you to do. And in that conversation that happens from people who are all following Jesus, we get sometimes an incredible vetting and clarity that comes from the impressions and the direction we want to take our lives. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. That group, the righteous, they talk about things. And it prevents all kinds of calamity. One of the ways that you'll be able to move forward in life and vet impressions is is gathering around a group of followers of Jesus. And just doing life with honesty and valuing candor and honest feedback. Be careful of people who always agree with you if you're in leadership. You have to have an occasional robust and honest conversation about hard things. And that's true in leadership, but in the leading of your life, you need it as well. Again, people who are bent towards happiness, people who are bent towards making sure you're happy with them and that you like them, sometimes they'll have a very hard time telling you the truth. What you need more than anything else in life, more than encouragement, often, what you need is the truth spoken in love. Sometimes both to propel you to action and other times to hold up an incredibly large stop sign. I need it, you need it, we all need it. And I believe God speaks. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you have close friends and they're asking your advice, I want to just challenge you. Don't give in to the idol of being liked, but share the truth that comes from God's word, the wisdom that needs to be brought to that moment. It's a gift to those people when you do it, whether they see it or not. And sometimes you raise questions that may even have appropriate answers, and that thing still needs to happen anyway, or they need to stay where they are. But in the raising of the right questions, you're demonstrating a deep value for them. And those conversations need to go beyond, it's my friend, I'm just here to support them. There are many decisions I would have tripped up my life in if people near me hadn't helped me vet what was going on. When I had the impression to start this church, I sat down with trusted people who had been in my life for years, and I said, here's what I think, what do you think? And then I shut up and let them talk. And over the course of the next literally several weeks, a picture began to emerge of clarity and forward movement, but also a list of things to be very careful about. And that served me incredibly well. One mentor who, if I said his name, most of you in the room would know him. One mentor said to me, hey, Ben, go ahead and get a Christian counselor. Go ahead and start going to counseling because you're going to need it. Most people in ministry do. You're a little wack to be thinking about what you want to do anyway. So go ahead and get a counselor because when you need it, it'll be too late to start that process. You'll already be almost over the waterfall. And because of the stature of his voice in my life. I went ahead and did that, and it has served me incredibly well. The power of a church family. Number four, is it consistent with how God has crafted me? Look at Ephesians chapter two, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, for we are God's handiwork. The Greek word there is poema. We are God's poem. God is writing poetry with your life. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has wired you up. He has shaped you. He has crafted you. And the things he's called you to do should largely align. If you're an accomplished practice musician, giving yourself to diligence in those matters, and you feel led to use your gifts to the glory and honor of God, that's in alignment a little easier to see the connections because that's the way he's wired you. If you're an accomplished you know, musician who's disciplined and studied and God's called you to be a carpenter, it may still be true, but it's not quite as clear an alignment. And so what happens is we throw a yellow you know, light up or a flag on the field on that. And we say, let's park here for a little bit to just figure this out. If you're an introvert, truly an introvert, not just somebody who hasn't had exposure and you believe God's called you to speak in front of people, God does that sort of thing. But before you jump up, you want to pause and just kind of vet that out. And the way you're wired gives you another filter by which to evaluate things. First, it's the word of God. And then secondly, does it make you more like Christ? And third, does my church family confirm it? And number four, is it consistent with how God has wired me? Look at Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts, you and I. We're different. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In this, God is showing us through Paul's writing that you may have a direction or a gifting in a particular direction. And that helps you determine the role you're supposed to play in this world. Now, if you're a parent, right, you're supposed to parent well. If you're a husband, you're supposed to be a good husband. These things are not negotiable. But beyond these very basic categories, within the slot of being a husband, what kinds of things are you going to bring uniquely to the table? Well, how God has wired you helps you determine what that is to look like. So does it... Is it consistent with God's word? Does it make me like Jesus? Does my church family confirm it? Does it fit how I'm wired? Number five, does it concern my responsibility? It's amazing how many people have opinions about things in God's world, in God's church, in God's family that has nothing to do with their area of responsibility. Remember in my earlier thing where I said we need friends around us who will talk to us? We do. We do. We need friends, people, we have a relationship, a little bit of distance, a little water under the bridge, but you'd be surprised how many people feel free to speak to things that aren't on their plate of responsibility. It's almost as if sometimes if you're a Christian, you get to comment on everything. And I suppose you can. It's America, right? You can do what you want. But that's not always healthy. If you want to hear if it's God's voice and prompting to you, I've discovered that when it concerns somebody else, especially people that you don't have a deep relationship with, with a lot of time and goodwill, you want to be cautious because if it's not directly your responsibility, you want to exercise incredible care and sensitivity to timing. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 14. Listen to the caution in these words. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? And why do you treat them with contempt? We're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment one on another, on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Now, at first blush, this might sound like, you know, the opposite of what I was saying earlier, but this is... The more general principle that says, to the degree you don't have a relationship, just pause before you share an impression. I was praying and the Lord told me to tell you. These are always scary words to me. It's amazing how much God speaks with clarity to somebody else about me, but seems to be having a very hard time to get through to them about them. It's amazing how often that happens. God, Here's things God has told people to tell me, by the way. God has told me you're supposed to give me money. That's good. By the way, Jill and I are very generous. We love to give money, and God often speaks to us about giving money, and we're able to do that, and we do it quite often. But typically, it's the kind of thing God speaks to us about, not somebody else about that. God said you're supposed to let me give a message at Four Corners Church. And this was said to me by a second-time guest one time. And I thought, that's never going to happen. <laughs> One time I was speaking on a Sunday morning and I walked down from the stage. It wasn't in this building. I walked down from the stage and a man met me at about the bottom step. And he said, I want to right now get up and give the other side of the story. I had no idea what he was talking about. I had to get oriented. Like, I said, tell me, I don't know what you're talking about. Come over here because, you know, the service is going on. It got weird really quick. And he's like, you said something. I disagree with that There's another side. And I want to get up and tell everybody else there's another side to the story. Well, it was never going to happen. You don't know it, but seated all around you are people with uh, poisonous blow darts. (laughs) And when stuff like that happens very quietly, we take them out. It just, (laughs) weird stuff like that doesn't occur. But God told this guy it needed to happen. You see how crazy this stuff can get? I have a close friend whose sister was dying, and they were praying. Everybody in the church was praying, everybody in everybody's Friend Network was praying, this is pre-Facebook, and we were all praying about the sister who was dying, and unless the Lord intervened, she was going to pass. And my friend was speaking at a a church service on a Sunday morning, and uh, what was very difficult about that is on the Saturday night before, um, his sister had passed. Very challenging situation, but he had made a commitment, it was a very large group of people, he went ahead and decided to keep the engagement. And as the worship service was happening, a very well-meaning sister in Christ walked up to him and said, the Lord has spoken to me and said, your sister will not die, she will live. And you can imagine the disconnect that happens in a moment like that. And he was very gracious and just said, thank you. We appreciate your prayers and got up and just gave the message and didn't say anything. Yeah, if it's not your area of responsibility, be very careful. If it is, step in boldly and at the same time with gentleness, grace. If you want to vet whether or not the Lord's speaking to you, if it's your area of responsibility, the likelihood he is is higher. And if it's somebody else's area of responsibility, the likelihood he is is lower. There are a handful of people who have prophetic roles, but they're not as many as claim. Number six, is it convicting rather than condemning? Is it convicting rather than condemning? You want to understand if God's talking to you about something going on in your life? The Lord often speaks to us and brings conviction. When the enemy speaks to us, he brings condemnation. And the Bible's very clear. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let's take a little journey. First John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. These words are to Christians. So when Christians say they don't sin, they're just contradicting the word of God. Of course you do. And when you sin, God's spirit brings conviction. So long as your heart has been open and you haven't hardened your heart over time, you'll be able to feel that conviction, sense it. And it's meant to bring you to repentance, to a re-engagement of God's grace and a turning away from your sin. The word repent means to turn and to go in a different direction. So whatever God's convicting you about, you pause, you turn, and you go the other way. That's from the Lord. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, look at these words. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his, of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. In the book of Revelation, at the end of time, the accuser of your soul, that guy that we said earlier, we talked about, his name was Satan, the one who brings not conviction that makes you turn towards God and away from your sin, but condemnation that makes you. Remember your identity apart from God. Makes you remember your mistakes, your failures, and your sin. Makes you wallow in them. That guy, one day his hands will be tied. Until then, he has an incredibly strong voice. And when you sin, and you will, he would love to remind you about your worthlessness. In fact, let me give you a couple of things you can write here. Conviction from God, here's what that looks like. You've sinned. You've sinned. Now that's unpalatable. We don't like it. It just happens. And the quicker you can come to terms with the fact that you're not perfect in reality and that you've sinned and you've been wrong, the quicker and easier the repentance process is. But condemnation, which comes from Satan, says this you're worthless. You're worthless. That's not from God, it's from the enemy of your soul. So when you've sinned, the Bible says confess your sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, he will hear, he will forgive. And then we turn. But for those of us that have struggled sometimes with recurring sin and we feel like we're killing the same demons all the time, the same dragons. And when you deal with it in one area, it shows up in another it's very easy for the enemy of your soul to speak to you and whisper to you that you are worthless, that God can never use you. And that is nothing more than the lie of the enemy. That is not an impression from God. In a few minutes when we take communion, what some of us need to remember is that when you put that Bread in your mouth that has been dipped into what represents the blood of Christ. That his body is broken, your sins are covered, and you get to feast at the table. Not because you are blameless in reality, but because he declares you blameless. You're not worthless because he was worthy. A powerful thing when God brings conviction. And it's a destructive thing when we listen to the impression of condemnation. Number seven. Do I sense God's peace about it? Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Paul was talking about some challenges they were having, and there was discord. And he's like, look, God is... God's about peace. That doesn't mean there aren't troubles or aren't moments when you're troubled as you're thinking about something, where you're stirred, where you're uncomfortable. That happens. But ultimately, the trajectory of the Lord's activity goes towards peace, harmony, internal confidence. And so Colossians chapter three, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. If you wanna know if there's an that you're having is from God or not, do you have peace about the thing? And this is one of those things that the old timers used to say around the church I grew up in. I just don't have peace about it. And this wasn't a way of them washing their hands about the thing that was in front of them. This was their ability to weigh out a matter and say, if we're not sure the Lord's moving here, we're not going to move. If God's not going, we don't want to go. If he's not leading, we don't want to step into that. And they would, after evaluating the Scripture and wise counsel from trusted friends and all the other things we talk about, they would often be this kind of, they would call it, I have a check in my spirit. It's just I just need to wait. I just need to wait for a little bit. It didn't make sense sometimes to people who were watching from the outside, but in them, they knew that God was the author of peace and where there was an unusual amount of discord Not just discord that comes from newness, but a discord that comes from an unrested soul. They would just pause at those moments. Now all week long, I've been praying for people who I bet, many of you, walked in here and there's decisions that you're facing. There are issues going on in your life. And if you had clarity about the way God was leading, it would be easier. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but I think if you literally will take these notes and begin to process what's in front of you through the lenses of first, the scripture, second, the character of Christ, third, the wisdom of brothers and sisters who are deeply spiritual, speaking into it. And I don't mean find a Christian who's lukewarm so they can agree with you. And then asking, is it consistent with how God has wired you? Does it concern your responsibility? Is it convicting or condemning? And do you have peace about it? I think if you'll process through your thing, you'll begin to get clarity about whether or not God's speaking in that thing, and if he is, in what direction. And so all week long, I've prayed for you. And I've asked that even in this time of communion that we're about to take, that you would receive the grace from the Lord that you need in this stage of your life. That you would sense His Holy Spirit directing you. That whatever obstacle is in your path that prevents you from having clarity, it would be removed. We're going to take a couple steps right now as a congregation and then we're going to pray and take communion together. So this is the point at which you pull out that card that that Matt, our, our host, had you fill out earlier. We're going to take a couple steps together and see if we can't be both hearers of the word and doers of the word right now. Now, I've been talking about the ways you know whether or not God is speaking to you. And it could be that while you were sitting here, you felt God urging you, stirring you. Maybe one of those stirrings is, is that you are not yet in a relationship with Jesus and you need to be. And you feel him stirring you to be a part of his family. So every week, next step A for us is the same. It says, today I'm making Jesus my savior and Lord if you feel stirred to be a part of God's family and you know you're not, you know you've never come to that moment where you've trusted Him and only His work on the cross and in His resurrection to save you from yourself, from your sins. If you've not done that and you're feeling stirred, now's the time. We'd ask you to take your pen and simply check next step A. We're gonna pray about that in a moment. We're gonna give you a chance to put that card in the offering bucket at the end of our service. we can communicate with you about it but I want to have you right now prayerfully think about whether or not Jesus is the one who's supposed to forgive your sins in this moment and become the leader or the Lord of your life and if so, check that box or how about next step B today I'm choosing to be baptized if you have questions about baptism or want to be baptized in a few weeks when we do it you can just check that box if you're a follower of Jesus and have gone public with your faith would you think about that? And next step C is the one I told you about earlier. It's about getting in a small group. This is a place where followers of Jesus can be a part of your vetting process. If you don't have those people in your life or it's been a while since you've been connected relationally to growing followers of Jesus, I wanna strongly encourage you to join a small group this summer. Even if you're very busy, go a few times. That's better than going none. The next step D simply is a statement of honesty. It says, I need to discern an impression I have. Pray with me for clarity on God's direction. If you want to tell us what that is, you can use that space on your connect card or you can just check the box and we'll join with you in prayer. And the next step is the other thing I told you about. Would you send me information about 4C's membership experience happening here in this place on Sunday, June 25? If you check that, we'll send you that information. Let's pray about these things and then we're going to get up and come together and take communion as a church family. We're gonna take that bread, which represents the broken body of Christ, and dip it in the larger cup, which is wine, or the smaller cup, which is grape juice, and then put it in our mouth. And as you do that, that's an act of you receiving whatever grace God wants to deposit into your life and nourishing your soul in this moment. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to your people today. You've spoken to us your word Lord as we went through a few dozen passages about your heart to speak to us to guide us to direct us I want to thank you that you're a God who wants to be intimately connected to every part of our life there's no segment of our heart there's no corner of our life that you don't want to be the Lord over And I pray, God, in this room that your people, your sons and daughters would be open to whatever you're speaking to us, even in this moment. Father, I want to pray that you would quiet the mouth of our enemy, the accuser, who would speak condemnation over your people today. That you would shut him up. And we would be confident in the grace that you offer, that your grace is more powerful, that who you say we are is better than anything else that's in our past. I pray, Lord, that your, your boldness would rise up in us. You would quiet the voice of fear, keeping us stuck and from moving forward into the path that you're blazing ahead of us. And Lord, I wanna pray that your Holy Spirit would whisper conviction where it needs to be spoken. That we wouldn't be able to come and hear a message like this and be comfortable with our sin. But all around this room, there'd be people who are confessing, Father, forgive me. Once again, I have to come to you and ask for your grace. father for those that are declaring jesus wash away my sins i have nothing to bring i can only trust the work that you've done on the cross and in your resurrection to secure my relationship to my heavenly father i pray lord that they would have the whisper of your spirit speaking into their life right now that they belong to you they're your child they've been claimed by you they've been adopted Father, as we gather as a church family to take communion, I pray you would strengthen us in in our inmost being that through this act of physically taking broken bread and dipping it in 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 the wine, that God, we would be reminded that every nourishment we need for all the life you've called us to is available to us through you. We give this time to you fully. We pray it in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen and amen.